0: Hi, everybody, it is Brian Eisenberg, and I am here with my friend Rick Strickland. Rick and I actually go back quite a number of years. I think the first time actually I met him on Twitter years ago. The first time I met him in person was at Lance Wheeler's Pitchapalooza at Battle Academy. And... You did a session on technology and hitting back then. You've always been on the forefront of technology and hitting. And I remember it got a little buggy because technology back then was buggy. That's right. (laughs) You pulled off a great session. I think you you educated a bunch of coaches on how to use technology. And I'm really excited to have you here for so many reasons. Obviously I've learned so much from you over the years, but more importantly, this happens to be the hundredth episode that Sammy and I have published of this podcast. And I thought it would be wonderful to have you here as part of that journey because you really, you exemplify all of it, right? You, you got hurt in high school. You eventually got drafted by the Yankees. You've gone and you have your own private facility. You've coached teams. You've brought players to the highest levels, which we can talk about some of the players that that you've that you've seen make it to the pros that you've worked with like Jay Oda you know and others. Most recently now you're also uh, the manager of the AA Cubs organization. Hitting coach. The hitting coach. And it's that's a responsibility. I don't want all that. Okay. Uh, but it's still a, a pretty significant journey that you've had. And I think for, for any parent or, or athlete who who's going to listen you've got just so much to share i hope we could pack it in here in, in 45 minutes but where i wanted to start today was something that that struck me the conversation we had when you were coming back from from the end of the season you were headed back home and you had mentioned a couple of things you had mentioned number 1 how you viewed your job as a hitting coach very differently today now also working with the Cubs, but also what your new plans were for your facility this year for the younger athletes that you're working with. And so I really just want to dive in there and just, you know what, you've been at this a very long time and obviously you still see opportunities for change and for thinking differently. Yeah, I
1: think the biggest thing that, you know, from, you know, it took a while for me to actually get myself into a position The the doorbell may ring a little bit if it's a moment walking up there, but to get myself in a position what I've learned from this year is that when you get into pro ball and you see the amount of changes that are happening at the the pro level and then me having an opportunity to actually get extended in my contractors, but I started with one year to an additional two years is that really and truly it's not about even though they hire you and they want to know how much technology you can handle and things of that nature, it's really about, can you get athletes to perform? That's just it. When you look at why guys get fired for the most parts at the like big league level, or don't get a chance to renew their contract and to move on, it's really down to did the players get better, did they perform, did you have a chance to win? Things of that nature. So it's very rare that a coach is going to lose his position if he's really good at getting guys to perform. The biggest thing I've learned is that we get wrapped up a lot of times and just thinking that if you teach a guy the perfect swing, he's got to perform better. That's not the case, right? So I don't think people get too wrapped up into how much you know about the swing, the swing, and whether or not that swing is going to be able to actually perform at a high level. So if a guy's got a great swing, you're the greatest swing coach in the world. And the game starts and he doesn't hit because he's swinging at curve sliders and their fastballs over his head, then that perfect swing really doesn't matter much. So when, I, when you're managing players or coaching players on a day-to-day basis, my job is really to get them ready to play at 6.15 or 7.15 every night. That's really what my job is. And if they don't do that, if they don't perform, then I've got to go back to the academy and work with you. So that's really the biggest thing that I, if I were to summarize what a coach is, he's not just a hitting coach. With the thinking of hitting it in terms of the place that we're hitting with performance.
0: And it's interesting because you came back. And one of the first things you told me you were doing at your private academy was you were getting yourself a Proteus. And I just had my son, Sammy, test on Proteus at one of the facilities. And we had one of the, one of the coaches who had been working on Proteus for a while, talked about it. And you, you explained to me why you were so excited about installing a Proteus at your facility versus the latest track man or the latest pitching machine or, but wh- why Proteus? Why do you think that matters so much more for these younger hitters? When you think about what data is, how we look at it, even when I got,
1: in for while, got back into Perval this past year, is that basically when you look at it from a performance standpoint, it's the output, it's the output. And so really what Proteus helps you understand is the input. What is it about this athlete, how much power, how much strength, how fast it can actually go. And then you start to have conversations about whether or not because there are some deficiencies in, in how they create their power and how they create their speed, what type of relationship does that have to the actual ability to execute the skill from a physical level? And so Proteus, really, I'm not a strength coach. Yeah, you know, it's still enough about it to be, to be dangerous. But I've talked to a number of guys over the years. And so, what Proteus has actually done is all these conversations I've had about it from all these different great guys and girls that talk about strength is really, it's put it into a simplistic form for me to understand as to how we need to go about building up the athletes so that I can teach them the world's greatest wing if that were to exist. So, Proteus is a wonderful piece and it's just taking all these things that this force. Velocity curve, things that we talked about and really simplified it. It's also simplified it, not necessarily, but by what exercise you should do, but how you should do the exercise, whether you should put heavy weight on and do it slow and, or do it fast. Lightweight should do it fast, which really says simplified it and organized my thoughts for our younger athletes.
0: Now let's talk about that perfect swing because we still see it as, as parents, as athletes, there are so many people chasing the lesson model, just trying to get that perfect swing. Is that, is that really where they should be investing? What are the type of things that they should be looking for to determine whether, if they are paying for a coach, actually getting their money's worth out of it?
1: Think about it. So the swing is a component of it. It's, if you were to take, there is a swing component, I tell our athletes all the time, and there's a hitting Man. component. Right, you could have a slow swing and good it. Right, you could have a great swing and get four Right, so there's more elements to the swing than just actually physically taking the bat and swinging it out. If the ball's sitting on the tee and I've got a perfect swing, I should expect a certain result with it because I have that. But that's not how hitters are designed. I truly believe, Brian, looking at the proteus tail, that a lot of times as athletes we learn how to swing the bat based on how we're built. Right. If I'm strong in one area, my body makes a compensation for it and be able to do things like that. And so when you when you get to the professional level, even though these guys are strong, these motor patterns and movement patterns have been baked in from basically all these years. Nobody stepped in at four years old to try to change these things like that. Matter of fact, I don't even know if they knew, right? So these kids come up and they have a swing that's based upon their body. And the data is telling us when you look at the output of the data that the ball the result of the ball, the actions of the ball and where it goes and how it goes and stuff like that. Then you can kind of like backtrack as to how these movement patterns actually perform it. I try to teach our hitters from that perspective that you have a unique swing. You need to figure out what that swing is because you have to play today or play tomorrow. And we start there, picking out those pitches that match up to my swing, not necessarily me trying to build a swing that I think is perfect for there. I have to in order to get them to perform. I have to understand how they swing and actually get them to understand that certain pitches don't fit inside of where their swing actually needs to go. Last night, case story, I say a word to kid in the cage. I got, I got high speed fastballs rolling up, and I keep cranking this machine higher and higher and higher. And the reaction of the kid just keeps swinging at this pitch over and over because very rarely do we actually put into a BP cage routine. That the kitchen actually part of his eating development is to take a pitch. They don't, they just swing at everything. So I'm going from the waist high to the chest to the neck to the eyeballs. And this cat just keeps swinging his way. And you could just see him just boiling. You shouldn't hit that pitch, right? Matter of fact, no smart human being should ever swing at a ball that is not at his eyeballs, right? You're probably not going to match up to that pitch. So sometimes in the traditional lesson space, we don't really address that enough. And that's the hitting element of it, right? That's the, the hitting part. Do you understand how to actually play the game? I think really good hitters are really good at chess. Mm-hmm. I think they're really good at it, right? So they're just pushing you to a spot where they can actually do damage. And the pitchers, on the other hand, is trying to keep the ball away from that spot where they can do damage. You get to the big league levels, I don't care how hard you throw, and you can get away with some spits and pitches because you are, you've are got the ability to to. Characteristic of fastball that can beat certain players. But if you keep throwing balls, fastballs to a player to where his swing messes up, he's going to get you, right? Because that's where he's programmed to hit it. So you've got to throw a ball away. And our job is performance, hitting performance fixes, like I'm going to give myself in the title, is to get our hitters to actually understand it. Now, the hitters with the great swings can actually cover it a little bit more than the guys. Our job is to get the guy. I know right now it's off season. so you have time to actually work on that. But when the game, when the season starts, parents should be looking at understanding what it is their kids are actually doing wrong in the game. And it's not necessarily always the reason why they've been in the ball, shortstop and rowing overall, time having a right-hand hitter is because they're swinging the ball.
0: It's interesting because we can take a look at someone like a, a Juan Soto who does a great job ball to back contact, right? Like there's almost no holes inside the strike zone. Like he will make contact to it. And that's part of his game. And maybe got changed a little bit when he changed teams and they're expecting different things. I yeah, we don't know, right? We're not in that locker room. And then you can look at players like Mike Trout, who's traditionally had one big hole that, you know, or Aaron Judge who's had a, one particular type of hole, right? You feed him in, you push him way outside, bow upside, right? That slider, terribly, just not a fun place for him. Shouldn't we be trying to change hitters if they have that hole, or do we try to teach them how to be better at hitting where they're good?
1: The first thing I said, you teach them first to be good at what they're good at. That's, That's right. what i Right. And I think a lot of times people go on there and you, you know, sign up for a lesson and they go down to a coach and the coach has no idea what to work on. They don't like the way they hold their back. They think they need to have more load. They need to feed step. And you have to be careful what you start to change because change is change, right? Good change, bad change, or no change whatsoever. And that's where technology can kind of help us with that. But my trout's such a physically gifted human being when he's playing against lesser I shouldn't say lesser talent, but kids are probably haven't, haven't mastered the art of their craft and they're not able to throw the ball the way they want to throw it. I and mean, they keep drawing it to where they hit it. He hits 400 in a ball. Close yeah. to four ball. He's right? going to do
0: damage. Yeah. Right?
1: Okay. And then as you start and you get close to the big leagues, and because they have this massive amount of information about how he performs and where he misses pitches and where he hits hard. That once you get to that level, guys are better able to execute their pitch. So they can pitch to those levels. Now Mike had either a choice. He could try to fix that or say, I'm just saying avoid it. And you know, all intents and purposes, or what you watch watching there are certain pitches he just won't swing at. Whether it's strikes, he just won't fall for because he understands that even if he makes contact with it, there's very little bit of positive outcome that's going to happen. So he's going to move on to the next pitch and hopefully you miss it by six inches. In which they do pitches miss by eight inches around the spot of the eight ball that you miss at a spot that he could actually get. I get this argument all the time. I, I keep saying if you were to measure Juan Soto actual swing, of and that Juan Soto not the greatest swing in the, in the game. And so you see him struggle a little bit because he tends to be more of a flat swinger, not that flat swingers is just bad, but they tend to hit more ground ball, right? Yep. And so, yeah, he may hit 106 mile, 110 mile ground ball that's on the ground, but you got to have a little bit of luck when you hit it on the ground. Whereas opposed, post, you see somebody like Trout or a, my favorite guy, or either favorite two guys, put Aaron Judge in the top. Not because it's all runs, because really really has really good swing. But Freddie Freeman is a magician, right? With oh, yeah. Ball. Everything with Freddie goes this way. And very rarely does his ball go down because of the path of his swing. Those guys can miss their balls. They can't. But when you look at him in the three main categories, you look at Juan Soto in the, the categories that are really good, which is decision making, which is like the heart to being a good hitter, like it's decision making the decisions, right? right? To be able to make contact and to be able to do damage when you do make contact with those lines that are very good at it. But when you really look down at the small components of it, that the damage he gets off his balls. Compared to Freddie Freeman, you need to know Freddie Freeman is probably less talent when it comes to strength and power. Freddie gets more value out of his swing than, than, than one. So that's right. Now I always say that Juan Cigar, like, Freddie Freeman, so i true swing that team. But he, he, he does that perspective. So learning about all those little technology, look at it in the right way. Should be able to teach you based upon the kid's history on, on how to do all those. Things. I hope that makes sense. Talk about a story, get off track.
0: Yeah, no, no, I mean, it totally makes sense. And I and I want to d- dive into two two parts that you talked about there. So number one, you talked about decision making. And now I want to bring it back to the younger crowd, right? Let, let's talk about the 11 to 17 year old. You have them in your facility. How are you coaching them on are getting better? But obviously, they're decision making, right? Do you want them being masters of that whole strike zone or do you really just focus in on on building them up so that they have the opportunity to maximize their damage plus maybe get more of a strike zone i think let's
1: go back to this and put this in the real world context you don't think that's necessarily always a bias by baseball when i first got into business it wasn't really to produce major league talent it was really to promote the game be fiduciary for the sport because I love the sport so much, to be a positive impact and role model for a player. As a parent, you we teach our kids to make good choices and good decisions, right? So that same kind of discipline, the same kind of goals you would have for your kid just in everyday life, those same type of things have to present themselves in being a good athlete too, right? So teaching a kid to make good decisions at the play is no different than teaching a kid to make good decisions in life. In my view, and I, I think that if I can teach them to think about what they're doing and if this is wrong and this is right, that it has a, it can also have a, a good effect on other things that they may choose to do in their life. So I don't look at it that like this is making part of it. This is making part of it, it is a part of athletic development. But I think a lot of times in hitting it's overlooked because it's you no, know, sometimes you're doing things that aren't fun. So we've got, we bought since 2019. And I'm actually uh, a reseller of this is 2 Cognition, which is folks go out and look at what it is right there. It tells us why kids make the decisions that they actually make. And then we actually dig deeper into how we actually teach that. I'll give you an example of one time we did it with a player, his mom and his, and his French. <laughs> and uh, I remember one of, the, one of the things that you measure it is that music he can't right? But probably all of us sorry now. But distraction was one of the weak points that he was. And so we are playing music. I got the kids screaming this thing where I try to hit balls out of the machine. And uh, we can't shake this kid. He's not getting distracted by us. So I go over and whisper to his mother Jerry say something to him, friend, right? And so she's throwing 90 mile-hour fastballs. So he's up in the it it while she comes up to him. And she says to him something to friends, man, he stops, puts in the air, stops mid, doesn't swing, he does turn. all look at his, Oh, y'all, yeah. You can't have my mother pop at the knee right while wow, I'm trying to play. Then he's thinking about that. Think about that, how many people scream at their kids and telling them what to do as they play. And all they're doing is they think they're helping guys, right? But if their kids weaken that bucket, they're actually distracting him. They're not really helping them. And because you don't know, parents think that they're helping them. They get distracted. That was one. We want to find out if a kid is suffering with being able to see the trajectory of a pitch or the speed of the, of the pitch. And if we know that stuff offhand, the drills that we may do in the cage or things that we may tra- train them on, it may change a little bit because we need to focus on the area that the kid actually struggles the most with from that yeah. perspective. I mean, most of these kids, visual systems, yeah. visual systems for sure are fully developed between 16 and 18 years old. So you only have an intimate, a small amount of time actually work with those kids before you have to go in to try to teach them, uh, Get them a large database for a slide or a like on that perspective. So we do take that very seriously we see other product coming out there like some of the visual the the virtual reality programs mm-hmm. that, that that do a little bit to address some of that stuff like that but we're trying to introduce that i don't know that the kids will always work a hundred percent and win some of those things like that but at least we've introduced it to them, right they can use that when they leave the academy not to do them or whatever but if they are able to transcend mm-hmm. to the upper levels of professional baseball a lot of these organizations are implementing that stuff
0: right now. So let's talk about technology because I know that that's always a fun topic for you. Let's touch on what's the technology right now that you're really excited about? Two Proteus is not
1: definitely, it's every day. Proteus is like the main thing. Every exercise program, any program I've ever purchased or learned in the task. I'm trying to experiment with it all the program. Because I believe these people that built those programs, are brilliant people, they think that they work. That's okay. Well, let me do it with produce so we can measure whether or not they work or not. I also think that a sports is like it's got a chance to be a phenomenal product. One of the things that we, we struggle with is that we don't know, we don't keep a really good record of uh, if the amateur level, of, because they play in so many different tournaments and sports and games all over the place like that. There's really no consistent way to track how they actually perform. Parents yeah. sitting there scoring on game changer is just not enough to say that a pair called and says, Hey, Johnny, The struggled this weekend. You struck out four times. I'm like, what did he strike out on? Curveball. Then you have to ask him, what was the kid, well, it's a curveball it's in the dirt? Help you with that, right? Yes. stop. I can't help you. There's no swing coaching he going to help you to stop that. hitting anyway, something stop me with that. I need to understand why. So, Aware is video based. And so people have an opportunity to, to track and target that when they're in the academy, whether they own, I just think that, that type of problems and their company, but what they are doing right on the video side actually puts the power of the cellular phone in the hands of just everyday people. Like the coach is stored on the game, gives video recorded in the game, hits all run got the coaches storing it. We've got the video. So we got all these different angles of it. and I can assume that yeah. if you get these cameras and you get these people on enough fields out there, you'll have a, a really good database of, of a kid's historical history of how he performs it's just, and it's for baseball, but I'm sure it's going to be another sport as well. So I'm really excited about what video can bring in just a video camera in general, we use it for 3d motion capture through uplift, a two camera system there which we used to go in and put a lot of sensors on the body and stuff like that. And there's arguments for and against the, the I'll let the biomechanists figure out which one is best, but it just gives us enough information as to where we need to focus our interventions on the training side.
0: Is there anything that you look at technology being offered today and you're like, yeah, not yet.
1: I say virtual reality is probably not there yet. I think it's a good, good start. I'm sure over time technology will get to the point like that. But I also think video is probably, is continually getting better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And the way you put video cameras all over it looks like that. So, um, I just think the virtual reality is probably the one spot that's probably that best- I see a lot of advertisers for it like that. We're just caught quite right there yet. with one of the virtual style. I'll tell you my general opinion about, about my technology, what I've learned to do and how to actually use it. I think a lot of times yeah. the technology that we have right now probably suffers a little bit from trying to tell us what the input is. It definitely doesn't tell us how to coach you. It just doesn't. Proteus is coming close to at least explaining to why you do what, why you should do it with that. But the real big thing about technology, I look at it like a text account and that it records the historical data about your performance. And so we have to look at it from that perspective and then make our analysis of how we're going to use it to actually make the app better with that. But I think a lot of times first started off, we get bat sensors, we get all these things like that, Just take the bat sensor. I would always remember we got the blast motion sensor on the guy and that perfect source, and then the game happened on the weekend, this dude could get, right? And so people would be sitting back in skeptical because this guy's freaking out that he's got 80 rotational playing score and nothing that he could just rotate. That had nothing to do with whether or not he could hit her. Now, Blast will tell you that when they measured, people were really good at hitting, that they could see some correlations between that. But people on the street were trying to learn how to get to that level, think that just because they get that score, that they were going to be good hitters. And that simply was not the case. So, we have to know how, where the technology actually fits. And it's just a measurement as to where those players are and whether or not maybe you should be channeling your energies to change anything big in those categories. So, technology has really kind of helped me understand yeah. that you can't use, you shouldn't. You know, one of the things I, I'm really adamant about when it comes to, especially biomechanics, is averaging things. Uh, there's certain short rotations, as this. You can't do that. Cause people are using and getting those averages in different directions, From different percent perspectives. And maybe they have an average number of this, but the minimum being leaked all over the place like that. I don't want to get too technical with this, but you cannot use an average file data, at least I don't think so to teach, right? Maybe yeah, you can do yeah. it. Might take you to teach.
0: Yeah. And, and certainly uh, as we have discussed, you can't take one video of a swing and plan a program from that one pitch because you don't know where that pitch was, how the kid was feeling that day, what the count was. Did his girlfriend fight with him? Does he have a test coming up? There's so many factors. As you said, what's interesting about Aware is that you're now looking at a player historically with a lot of video from all different angles. You can have the mounted cameras from all different things. So you can see the situation you can search for inside there based on Different circumstances. Hey, I want to see how this kid fares against kids who throw 90 plus, right? Instead of oh, I'm going to judge uh, his biomechanics on a swing where he faced the kid who throws 70. Poop.
1: Yeah, it's a good thing. It's a great. It's a great tool, and it's also going to be a bad tool. And people going to watch it be a bad tool because you're out there spending ten thousand dollars every summer chasing your kid all over the place like that. And yeah. now these guys have better tools to analyze why you're not going to be at a power five conference. Yeah, I know sometimes parents are harder, hard headed that Johnny's killing the local high school team and they can't understand why Ole Miss won't recruit him. Ole Miss won't recruit him because they're running searches in the database that every time he faces a fast hole that's 88 miles an hour above, he doesn't hit it. He strikes out so stuff like that. But also think it's good to you from that perspective because it stops wasting your time in chasing these things that your kids probably not ready for at this point. It puts you guys in the bucket like that. It also gives them an opportunity to focus on the weaknesses that they have in the program. I creating coaches because I'm looking at, I face last couple of weekends, I'm facing 88 miles above and they're throwing it down a little plate. Now I'm not hitting, so why? So that's the type of stuff that a weird thing to be able to help on the training side, Brian. I'll tell you, I've always said, since I started our program, a about years ago, and I've never changed from this and it's still to day to day. Like I'm like, you can't. We can all have goals and aspirations of playing at the highest level, but that cannot be accomplished if you are not looking to make yourself that. Kids were talking to me the other day about how a 14-year-old can, or why kids do this, but I even know today, especially with the way college baseball set up now, why do even think about committing? You are a 14-year-old committed to a school, and they were showing me his 60-yard desk and said, listen, the way college baseball's shaped right now, it is it's not important how good you are at 14. It's not how good you are at 14. It's really how good you are when you get to campus, right? And mm-hmm. I'm saying, if you're throwing 100 miles an hour, running six four sixties, and fresh in 95 mile an hour fast homes, and that kid's not who you are at 19 years old, you're going to take a spot. That's kind of how the game is. Baseball's such a late development sport. You don't have to be great at 16 years old. You have to be great at 20, 21, 22, 23 years old. So there's time. And so the only way you get to be that great is a, enough to try and technology helps us stay on that path.
0: So let's go back there because from what I've, from what I've researched, you've had, you know, 300 plus kids who've gone on to play in college from your teams and 80 something professional players, all stars, uh, Andrew better is the other, uh, one of the other ones, if you're taking a kid today, right? Everything we have available, say, and we're not talking about willing to spend millions of dollars to develop your kid, but reasonable path that we're seeing most, most parents do today. And you want to help them maximize their development. What, give me buckets of how you would tell a parent, Hey, here are the things you need to do from now, let's call it 12 year old or 13 year old till college or beyond what, what how do you bucket this all so
1: you would basically say he needs to become as good an athlete as possible. that doesn't mean he has to become a, an olympic style athlete he needs to become a really good athlete sometimes i think in the baseball space especially with these younger kids that are playing right i hate it when a parent comes to me and says he's a baseball player I heard. athlete first athlete first because being an athlete a really good athlete will help the kid develop the talents to be powerful and explosive and, and those types of things. So as many of those things he can play early on so that he can get the, the, the physical liter- literacy of being able to control his body, through those things, things, things like that is super important. The worst thing in the world is a kid that's only his only phase of athleticism is the swing of bat. I've seen some kids, I've been working with, a, with some people who had their kids and they've studied a the sling and they're the greatest hitting coach ever. And they just work on swinging. And these kids are pretty good at striking the ball. However, they lack any other athletic components that are really going to be able to do it as you from the scouting report, I've known these kids since they were 11 years old and the dad's convinced me that he's the greatest inning coach in the history. But you see when you're in a scouting that the kid's like really lacking on the athletics side, not a good defender, not a good, uh, things like that, that you actually get better than paid in this sport. and. I just think that those types of ne- the neglect of that, and strictly just focus on the skill part of it, will eventually come up to bite you in the do The what? The people that, they, and when you get to the organization that, they're measuring their ability to create power. They're measuring their ability to stretch and do all these other kind of things like that. And a lot of the time, best athlete, that's something rooted in how they were developed early on as a player. People from other countries, these kids are walking barefooted on beaches. They're doing different things. And so their connection with Europe is different than a kid's connection with Europe that sits and plays video games on right? It's just different than that, right? I'm going to say, that. I'll say this too. I used to say this a lot. Our select program, the better athletes were the ones who weren't from the city in the private space. they were mm-hmm. better athletes. They were the kids that were small from the South that were getting up, cutting grass and throwing hay for summer jobs and stuff like that. And so there was a connection between being just a good human being athlete and anything else. So I'm going to say you start there. Right. At some point in time, I usually tell the guys in our program, you're probably going to have to make a decision. And it doesn't have to probably come and tell you about 15 or 16 years old. Right. About what's playing because it's such a highly competitive field. Some of you guys may have to look at spending more time being like this. They play football and basketball. There are some kids that they can play all three and be dominant. all uh, three. All of kids that's doing that scouts would argue with them that they should play all three sports, but they can say that. But once you get the player development machine, that meal that window runs really fast, you have know, a two or three year window to prove to the organization, go to the American kid, whether or not you can play professional before they move on. I think probably around that high school stage. That they should probably start to give themselves some acceleration,
0: really focusing yeah. on the yeah.
1: still part of it. But eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 17. team, should be working mm-hmm. on multiple sports, starting right out of the top or have fun this.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I remember when I attended the first parent meeting for the basketball team at my son's school, and he, he goes to a 6A school, very competitive. And the coach told everybody straight out front, I said, I don't expect any of these kids to be able to play two sports at a school like this for very long. Well. I said, you just, you can't be, you can't play at such a competitive level and have time to train for both. It's just very rare. Like most kids can't do it. And come sophomore year, Sam was like, look, I'll try out for the basketball team, but I really want to focus in on playing baseball, so he spent all his energy there. You know, they they said how how well he moved for a big man, but he was not gonna invest his time because of the training economy issue in order to stay competitive at basketball, preferred baseball. And I think, yes, the talk of being an uh, an athlete and playing multiple sports is great, but we do need to look at that training economy time spent on training them, whether it's better or worse for the athlete.
1: And if, you, if your goal is not to play college basketball and you enjoy the sport, they go play, then play high school basketball. It's okay. We're not saying that, but if you're, if I, I'm saying, if you really want to play college basketball, you're going to have to spend a few more hours work on a craft because that landscape to play at college, it's really competitive. Yep. When you're playing basketball or kicking soccer balls. And your competition's actually working on their, their, their bodies. They're still getting themselves. And I not talking about 14 or 15 years old. We're talking about when you get close to making that when the decision time comes, so you, have to go to, you have to constantly move that they afford to get back. I mean, that's the case in baseball as well. Right? It's not so important at 14, 15 years old. I had these there, there are
0: very few Bo Jacksons in the world. There's very few the
1: Sanders. <laughs> that's very, very,
0: yeah. Okay. So athleticism is the first one, making sure they're, they're just a complete athlete, bucket number one. What else are you doing?
1: Athleticism. So now, now changing things and thinking about athleticism power and things like that, I don't know where the decision-making component comes in. Cause I haven't studied as much as I'd like to. Not knowing whether a guy who's a really good chess player or checker player is good at decision-making. Probably, probably That's is right. So if I were, you have to, you know, after, being an athlete is fine, taking them out, running them out, socket, knock them off, like, but instilling them some type of work, worth it, because if they're going to be really good at this sport, they have to wear out. They just do. You, you can't be out carrying their bags for them and things like that. They've got to have some self-discipline and it has to start very early on with them. If they're going to make it, they just can't get dropped in the middle of some already crazy Marley athletes and think that your son's going to all of a sudden be able to channel yeah. that. Ears. I would all, especially the younger age, I'm really leery of requirement. I see some people, you yeah. two hundred two more games a year and then you get to, to the, to the serious kid that's 16, 17 years old and they become disinterested, right? Because they played all these games, right? So the games become uninteresting for them and they don't really they like to train, train. Right. But they like right. to play, right? And we know that, that train's going to have to be a part of it. So we get these disconnected athletes because people just went and just dropped them all in games and so that's all they're to do is like, you have to teach them how to work, right? They have to learn how to work so they can become good at, better athletes at that. Well, let's see here. The other four portion of, of that, they could one, I would tell, I would also say they need to have a history. They need to have a pretty good understanding of so what the sport is in the history of it, right? I don't know how you can get better at the sport. if You don't have an understanding of what the sport is. And some of the people that like, they came came before you, at least it was always mind blowing to me to be in pro ball. And, and players didn't know players were in the nineties, I couldn't even imagine it, right? I know players going back. I think my education about being a player goes back into the seventies, probably when I was a teenager, my preteen days. About I'm learning about players. Players laughing the other day. I was spitting off the starting of lineup. Well, the Cubs probably had 75 or a game of How do you know all that, stuff like that? It's, I really was a fan of the sport, not just a a baseball player. So I think that's important. They also have to do some studying about what it is that they're actually getting into would be important. They, they have to own. And I know a lot of times, parents have played the sport. They want the kids to be good at the sport, but the kid has to own that. Right. They do have to own it because also you just waste to sit down I've seen many parents just write and come in write a check and the kid just walks away from it. And so we want the kids to be involved and have ownership.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, that's a big one. I, I, and I want, I want to come back to the history of it because one of the things and you've been around the game for a while, you've got your share of grades, like I do. We've seen how the game cycles. We used to want everything down, down low. Now we're, we're looking at everything up high, guys are adjusting up high. We're going to start going back down low. It's just understanding how the game is going to work. And when everybody shifts one way, we're going to start shifting another way. Can you explain to parents, like, it's not just knowing the players, it's really understanding the game at such a different level that I just. I go out and I watch plenty of youth games and I, I just don't see the knowledge base.
1: That's not baseball down there. I don't know what what's, what's a 12 to 13 year old ball game. That's just, I've just saw like if, in 19, I was working for the Rangers. And basically the professional level was changed. And you see some elements to select baseball, even in the pro game at the younger age. Like I was it when the New York penalty was still here a few years ago. Many I can't remember, I couldn't believe how many players they had on the bench. at thirty-five yes. guys on the bench in the pennant league game. And so there was that select baseball mentality, kids. We, everybody's going to get to play three to four times, or whatever. It's like that. But um, yeah, you know, when we started to really focus on recruiting and showcasing the ability to teach our kids what the game actually was, suffered. It does all. and I'm guilty of that too because I was. Yeah, I'm guilty a little bit because we never bought it you know, all on that thing. We want to check it. So my goal was to keep their the time. Yeah. So that was my, uh, my excuse for not bunting with our team or something like that. But that's a different selfish type of way to actually look at it. There's some coaches that are really good at teaching to, to, to keep the context of the game and things like that. They're really good. They're doing a masterful job of it. But the one big thing I see is that we have people coaching the game that don't have an appreciation for how the game should be played. We play. you have people that play the game that don't have an appreciation for how the game should be we played. Well and, and I think what you do is sometimes you see a filtering of those, like athletes, reaching up to the highest level of baseball. People playing about well, these kids are not play baseball. They were never taught how to play. They've just been talented enough to come to ascend right. through. League. It's a beautiful thing to watch some of the major league players really good at base. They're just not just, I'm not talking about getting solid. They can catch balls. They can move runners over. They're-
0: they are react, they react differently. I'm going to give you a, a perfect example because I, 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 I think when parents hear coaches complain that kids don't understand the game, they really don't understand what that means. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll never forget I was helping out with the scout day At the high school level, with the organization that Sammy plays with, and he's a freshman at this point. They're senior classmen out on the field, and he also helped out with the setup and stuff like that, and running for coaches and getting them drink whenever they needed. And we're sitting there during part of it, and we're watching an at bat, and we watch the batter the first couple of times, and he's late, he's late, and the coach, who's now a head coach at a college, he was an assistant coach at the time. He's now a head coach at a pretty significant university here in Texas. He goes to Sammy and said, "What's the problem here?" And Sammy looked at him and said, "Yeah, no, nobody's moved. Everybody stayed in exactly the same position." And of course, the next pitch, the kid was late, but he flipped it over the second basement because. The outfielder didn't react. The infielders didn't react. They didn't see, Hey, this kid is behind. He's not going to pull the ball. Maybe I should move over a little bit. Wasn't any kind of reasonable hit hit, but like, he was able to cross off those infielders and those outfielders because he noticed they never moved. And that's part of knowing the game. That's
1: right. And so that's where you see the shifts. Everything at the big league part now is because the super analytics people saying, okay, this is probably where the guy's gonna hit. But we don't have it at the youth level, but we do have our eyes. You go to see a guy gets four hits down the left field line, left left a hitter. This is probably strong probability. You're not gonna hit it down the right field line, but what do our guys play? They play them straight up, they do like that. And certainly more kids not having an understanding of how that game is actually playing. How the game should be played, that you should be paying attention to what's going on. And if you do that, you'll make better plays. They saw themselves say the guys who tended to be the better base fighters on the also tended to be your better defenders. Please do I actually pay attention to so, face? right? They are actually watching. You can't be a good base runner if you're not really alert and paying attention to your surroundings. Most guys tended to be better defenders as well. But that's one of the things I see that's lacking at the youth level is the Visafun. Vicious- <laughs> so it's, and uh, it's, like, I said that. Just let's say this as if it's a, the whole. When we were growing up. There probably were fewer teams, right? Yep. No. And everybody's got a select program, and there's once you get past the first two teams, all of the third team in an age group, everything else is pretty much watered down, right? And people just pay them money so they can go to sh- go showcase themselves, and so kids never really learn how to play. Some of these kids are never learn how to play baseball.
0: Yeah. Again, you know, we see it in the dugout, kids chatting and not paying attention to the pitcher. So by the time they're up at the plate, they're just guessing because they have not watching how the pitcher's dealing with somebody. Or pitchers coming in, even relief pitchers, not watching batters the whole game, understanding what they swing out, how they react, what that bat path is. Once you know Uh that, your job's easy. You
1: got an advantage over him. I always say this, I say this a lot. And I use this analogy is that, but you can take 100 kids, put them in a the bag. This is the way it works, right? You got a 100 kids that play baseball. You're going to shake that bag and see how many baseball players fall out of it. It's mm-hmm. not going to be a, That's right. They're shaking just to find a bit. And that's what recruiting is. A lot of times, I think it was a like, wet guy. You go look at how recruitment is done now. You got all these teams that got 60 kids that come to campus, right? They're like only keeping 35. 25, 25, 30 get cut. Cause what are you looking You're looking for the best 25, uh, the best 25 players or 35 players they can throw around baseball, right? And even on that 35, probably only have about 10 players really good baseball players. just so looking for the best guys. And so it, it would be it, my advice to parents is to teach them how to be a rock solid baseball, athleticism, history of the sport, play enough games, train your tailball, work on your weaknesses, right? And become the best player because those guys, guys actually get afforded more opportunities than sometimes the most talented guys they do. It's yeah. basically, you know, some to these the power five conferences, and they're cutting guys that throw 95 miles an hour. People are like, I can't believe they cut that guy. We can't pitch for him. I got the 88 mile an hour guy on the mail because I can put him on the mail and he can get, he can throw the ball over the plate. And we have a chance to catch it so we can get out of the game. It pays attention. So the player's up, this hitter's up there, he can execute his fighter down the way. This kid can't get it, and I can get on to the next game. We can win it, with us. People just do not understand. So they're, but mm-hmm. maybe they go look at it, a power five pounds game And they got a pitcher that's coming out of the bullpen that's throwing 90, 90 miles an hour. And the kid goes, well, I can throw 90 miles an hour. But yeah, you can't get SAC hitters out. So you can't pitch it.
0: Yeah. Velocity gives you opportunities to make mistakes and get away with them. Doesn't necessarily mean you can make mistakes.
1: Yeah, all these hitters can hit that now. Not like they can't hit it. We're playing a double A game and the kid from the SEC who topped hundred and five rounds an there gave up seven runs, eight runs in the double in his double A outing. I think all seven seven of them were against stuff.
0: So
1: and it's hard as your are throwing and they were hitting the backhead of as hard as it in there. So haters can't actually hit. You have to learn. And I'm not saying you give up on this player. He's gonna have to learn how to pitch something wrong. But until so you throw that hard, you can learn how to pitch so It's a big one. No matter what your stuff is, if you can get guys out with it, you're probably going to find a spot. You actually don't lose opportunities to play when they're performing well. They keep getting the opportunities. So.
0: so I want to leave with one last question, because again, like I said, you, you've been at it all levels. You've been a player, you drafted, you were hurt in high school. You, you coached travel teams, you own an organization. You coach the professional level. How do parents find mentors, people they can really trust with their kids and their future and their dreams? How do you find these right people, not just the people who are out there for your money? I can tell you a lot of tonight's people find where they're going to be
1: in crazy ways. They say player people, what organizations they are always somewhere is looking at it from a business standpoint, they're gonna put the other club out of business. I'm like kid, right? If you, you don't know what kind of relationship these people form with the people on the other side, right? If they look at those people as their trusted mentors, they're always look at those trusted. Mentors. Yeah. Parents have to do a better job of, of screening those in of what the goals and aspirations of the coach is. coach is there to help you. Even if he doesn't, if he's not the best guy as far as his information, that guy really wants a guy wants to help you, they'll go out and find the information to help you. I think a lot of times parents get burned because they, they're looking for quick answers and they're not really open to really good, critical information about what the child, I remember just give you an example of what I'm thinking here. We've had instances over the years where parents, all of say, why is Billy not batting? I don't understand why Billy's batting third line. But if there was something against the coach, we had something against the child. I go, listen, our coaches like to win. They want to win. I said, and I don't think they're bad. They're last because they think so lowly of a that he thought they thought he was going to help him win and if he needed to get more bats, he bat higher in line. I said, so they're not doing that because they hate your child. Doing it because what they do. So I think a lot of times people, because it's their child, they think with emotion. And so they end up making bad decisions based on emotion. My son's on the BT. And so uh I'm gonna go to the other organization and play for AT. Isn't going to the other organization like is something big. People have to really kind of get in down to how they fight, because they're all over the place. But they have to really get down to what's important. If it's just chasing trophies, there's a ton of teams out there that are built for that. Right. But if you really want to get your player to the highest level, he needs to get himself sometimes as a team with the people that can help them reach those goals, whether it's a personal trainer, whether baseball coach, football coach, whatever, strength coach, whatever it is like that, they have to be able to find, seek those people out. And they need to ask the right question, right? They can't just show up at the doorstep because my neighbor's side went there and he performed well, because what you find out is that there's no connection between that coach and your player. They don't like each other. So there's nothing going to happen. So I think a lot of people find their coaches do that matter. So I think if there's a, a lot of talented people out there, that or all over the place internet. I think people have to do it. They can't think of it in terms of a pack. You have to think about in terms of the fit of an individual, they have to go seek out what's best for their child and not necessarily because of neighbors. It. And I see that is how the business flourishes itself, right? I saw organizations go from one team to 1,000 numbers really quickly like that. And there's no way um, I'm telling you on this earth that an organization can be that big and have so many kids you just can't, right? I mean, they don't mm-hmm. have that coaches lining the whole organization that can sit there and go through a 1,000 players and help every one of those guys. Yeah. Usually yeah. these coaches that are really good at master coaching are better when you're able right. to handle a smaller number of players and focus on a smaller number of players, but they grow so big. Why? Because parents pay three, $4,000 a year, get can to turn it $1,000,000 business, and so once it gets to that point, then people start making business decisions and not decisions that are based on health of the player. So I'm more and more likely, I'm a parent going through this, and I did this with my daughter who's a Division One sophomore player. Is we stayed small so we could focus on her personal growth, Not necessarily on being our biggest club in St. Louis and following that path, because the biggest club in St. Louis is, is usually looking to pat its own self in it and not as serious. So give my child what she. That's what I'll tell the parents. i parent walk up one day and say, say what do you say about your mean? own kid in listening, so I go, uh, another five, six years. Oh, man, like, why? Until well, he's talking about pitching lessons. I said, he's a lot of be an athlete first before you start trying to get form as high to be something else, right? So they take him down and coach and use method as can, then you've got, to, you've opened that window. But let these guys be athletes and let them grow from that perspective, and be, have them with a coach that's interested in teaching about the game and you know, yeah. develop, or she'll not them in know, in all the development, not all about tournament robots.
0: Yeah. As our our good friend, Dr. Ismail Gallo was saying, we're seeing too many kids out there who just don't know how to move. They're just, they're stuck in their training models and they've lost their flow. They just don't, they're just not athletes.
1: I'll tell you, I was watching the other day. I was watching where I was as a coach 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I was watching guys do team drills in another cage and they got the team going and they're all doing the same robotic exercise. And I was like, I can't say anything critical because that's exactly how I fit and you know that what's going to happen is two guys will get better. Six guys will pay the same, two guys will get worse. (laughs) And the guys that are staying the same, they get worse. They all on the same track. They're not getting better. And so you don't understand why. That, that happens. so parents have to look for people, guys and girls, and they're out there. There's some guys, really brilliant coaches out there that are looking and are always questioning it yeah. and exploring ways to make their athletes better. It's not the population, it's a small subset of the population out there, right? Cause they would do it for free to do it for more money for no money at
0: all. But you gotta find assaults in your area up
1: yep, there, out there,
0: they're out there. Absolutely. Rick, again, thank you so much for your time. If anybody wants to track you down and, and seek some of your wisdom, how can they find you? I'm on uh, uh,
1: tw- my Twitter account, which is Slay Rehab or Instagram at Train Academy, SLP Nation on Instagram as well. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much for your time today and uh, good luck with the uh, returning to uh, the Cubs. Before you know it, you'll be headed back to spring training. No bass. Oh, nice. oh, thank Excellent. you, Brian. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Also, please consider following us at baseball mentors and picking up a copy of our book, Play Ball Kid. We wish you the best of luck in your baseball journey.